The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Hello, church family. This is Samuel Lacard. Uh, today I'll be reading the scripture for the sermon. Um, it's Romans 8, 12 to 17. So then, brothers, are we debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Thank you, Samuel, for reading the scripture to us this morning. Good morning. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, White Ridge Baptist Church. And uh, just uh, so you know, at the end of the message, we're going to be having a chance to share in the Lord's table. So if you're at home and you want to go and get some juice or wine as well as some bread, um, you'll be ready to share that with us. We're in the book of Romans chapter 8, and we have been looking at the first 11 verses so far, where Paul has clarified several truths. Let me just summarize. First of all, he has said that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Basically, that means that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who live according to the Spirit, and there are those who live according to the flesh. That's the way God sees all of earth. He has said also that those who are living according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires, and those who live according to the flesh set their minds on what the mind or the flesh desires. Those whose minds are set on the Spirit have, have life and peace, Those whose minds are set on the flesh are hostile to God and God's ways. And the reason is because that that we are different as Christians is because of the Holy Spirit who literally dwells in us. That's why Paul, the scriptures, can talk about us as being temples of the Holy Spirit. And because we have the Spirit of Christ in us, we are spiritually alive, even though these bodies that we live in, these physical bodies, are mortal and will decay and die Yet, because of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that same hope we have that because of his spirit in us, we will be also raised from the dead. And so, Paul has talked about life in the spirit in the first 11 verses, and he has set the platform. And now, today in the scripture that Samuel read to us in verses 12 to 17, we're going to be talking about what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit now is, is spoken of not in, in kind of uh, cold law principle terms, but in relational terms. And uh, it's because he is a spirit of adoption, the spirit of adoption. And so now Paul is going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit, but more in terms of our relationship with God as Father. And you know, our, our faith can easily be reduced to ideas. I think what Paul is doing here is something we need to remember, that we must never divorce 
our faith from the relational intimacy that we have with God our Father because of the Holy Spirit. We, it is too easy to reduce our faith to a, a list of things we believe in, ideas, concepts, and that's not what our faith is. We have a personal relationship with the Father because of the Holy Spirit and because of faith in his son Jesus. The teaching in Romans 8 is, is also important because, as I said earlier, it, it reminds us of the difference that God makes in our lives. What is the difference between us and all the rest of the people on the planet as believers in Jesus Christ? It is not primarily that we understand and believe ideas and concepts that others don't. It is not primarily that we grew up in Christian homes or families and others didn't. It is not primarily that we attend or are affiliated with a church and others are not. It is not because we were baptized and others were not. Neither is it defined by a bunch of things we don't do. These are all important things, but they're not the primary deciding factor of what makes us different, what sets us apart. And Paul is going to nail it down today by talking about what makes you and I different is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is making a difference now, and he will for all of eternity, because either a person on this earth has the Holy Spirit abiding within, or he or she does not. And so, uh, this is what our focus is going to be this morning. Romans 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's our assurance. That's how we know because the Holy Spirit gives us our assurance, gives us, gives us our security. And um, let's talk about that. How is it that the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are children of God? Well, in a very simple terms, he leads us. That's how he bears witness. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or children of God. So that's it. How does the Holy Spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God? The simple answer is he leads us. And I want to share that he leads us in three ways. First of all, he leads us to put sin to death in our bodies. Secondly, he leads us to, to uh, cry out to God as Abba Father instead of be afraid. And thirdly, he leads us in willingly suffering for the cause and the sake of Christ. So we're going to look at those three ways that the Spirit bears witness, that the Spirit leads us. We're going to see the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what it means. But um, let us talk about verse 12 to begin with. Because verse 12 could be a stumbling block for some. It says, So then, brothers, we, have, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are debtors. That sad, sounds like duty, sounds like obligation, the word debt or obligation. At first glance, it doesn't sit right with our salvation by grace monitor that flies high and starts to sound off. But you see, in this scripture, Paul is not talking about salvation by grace immediately here. Uh, he's not talking about owing something for our salvation. He's already said, there's therefore now no condemnation. The debt's been paid for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul has already talked about that. Rather, in this text, he is talking about 
the logical consequence of being given the Holy Spirit. There is a debt. There is an owing. There is an obligation. Because the very reason that the Holy Spirit was given to the believer is for us to become holy, to become sanctified and set apart. Paul has taught that every Christian receives the Spirit to be set free from the law of sin. And so the obligation on us is simple. It's to cooperate with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to allow Him to have the throne of our hearts, to allow Him to be in the driver's seat, to allow Him to have His life shine in and upon and through us, to live under His power and influence, to open our lives to Him, to walk in His past, path, to not resist Him when He prompts us. We've been given the Holy Spirit so that we can cooperate with Him in our sanctification. And so that's what Paul is talking about in verse 12. He leads and we follow. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, it says that he bears witness. What is a witness in a court of law? A witness is there to tell essentially the firsthand knowledge of what is true and real according to their perspective. They are validating or they are invalidating the primary story of what the case is built on. And in this instance, the case, so to speak, is, is all about whether you and I are children of God or are we not. That's what Romans 8 is all about. It's about the security of the believer. God the Father wants every child of his to know that they are secure in him. And so the, the testifying that the Holy Spirit does is, is aimed at reminding us that we are the children of God. Three ways, as I mentioned, that we're going to talk about it. And the first one has to do with he leads us to put sin to death in our bodies. Let's look at verse 13. <clears throat> verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, unfortunately, this term, the leading of the Spirit, gets some pretty bad press. It's often abused, I think, over the years. We hear people give credit to the Holy Spirit leading them, and, and really, maybe the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with the course of action that people have decided upon. Before I met Pat, I, I met a man, I hardly knew this man, he told me that his daughter felt led that I was supposed to marry her. <laughs> and I said, well, I sure hope the Holy Spirit leads me clearly on that front. Uh, it wasn't meant to be. We can have all kinds of ways that people justify doing certain things that they feel strongly about, but because they feel strongly about it as the right course of action doesn't mean that it is Holy Spirit-led and inspired. That's one of the reasons why here at our church family we are seeking to grow in what we're calling corporate discernment that the board and the staff come together, they pray together, they talk, and, and we're trying to follow through on what the Holy Spirit of God is leading us to prioritize, to spend our energies on. And um, I remember one time, it's, there's been a few times in the past 10 years, not many, but when, when I, I felt strongly about something, and yet the others on the board or staff did not. And I can remember one instance where I, I was, I'm glad that I didn't force my way because in the end I was wrong. And so we see this importance of being led by the Holy Spirit. 
The word in verse 13 to, for put to death, the old word that you'll find in other older translations is the word mortify, mortify. We're called to mortify the misdeeds of the body, but we're called to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, today, the word mortify is almost like, uh, almost like the word embarrassment. Uh, you'll hear someone say, I was mortified when I realized that my Zoom microphone was on the whole time. Oh, what they mean is they're embarrassed. But the word mortify means to put to death. <clears throat> For example, the reformer John Calvin many years ago used it in his writings to talk about the opposite is vivification and mortification. The idea is that the Holy Spirit enlivens, vivifies, gives life to us so that we then can turn around and do our part, which is mortify or put to death the things of the flesh, the sins of the body. So there's this relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's this dance. He vivifies. He gives life so that we can then turn around with that power, put to death and mortify the misdeeds of the body. So every time we see or sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit from within, bearing witness with our spirit that something is not a good course of action, we can then put to death. And every time we see the Holy Spirit doing that, it's like he's testifying, you're a child of God. That's a, a proof positive that he, you belong to him because he is helping you. You can turn your darkest temptation into a reason to give thanks to God because you are feeling that pull toward God, the lift that we talked about last week, that aerodynamic lift that in, instead of the gravity that sin pulls you down. The Spirit is bearing witness before you sin so that you will not sin and that you will be reminded of who you are. You're a child of God and whose you are. Because that inner testimony, that witness, is the power you need to draw upon in order to escape that sinful moment and rise above it and choose the right and resist the wrong. A man by the name of James Fowler wrote a book called Man as God Intended. And he said that man has a response ability or an avail ability to respond to spiritual activity and avail him or herself to such. God limited himself functionally to act in correspondence with the choices of dependency. But as choosing creatures, men must bear the consequences of their choices. So he is essentially saying that we were created to respond to the initiative of God in us by the Holy Spirit. And we can do so. He leads, we follow. The second thing I want to say about what the Holy Spirit leads us in is he leads us out of fear to cry, Abba, Father, out of slavery and fear so that we can cry out to God, our Father. An intimate encounter with God, the Father. The word cry usually has the idea of crying out loud, but you can also cry privately and inwardly, down deep in your spirit. The crying to the Father also is evidence of sonship, daughtership. The cry to the Father suggests that you have a father. He is your, he is your daddy. And that word in Aramaic, Abba, denotes tender intimacy, close affection. Papa, daddy. The Jews actually never used it of God, but Jesus used it. 
We see him use it, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Abba, Father. Daddy, Papa. It's a crying out to God. Now, why did Paul use the word cry? Why didn't he just say, you know, we, we Christians, we can say Abba, Father. We can call him Abba. No, he says, we cry Abba, Father. Well, you don't cry out to someone in a casual relationship, in a casual conversation. You cry out to someone because you need him. You see your need. And you call out because you realize that he is the one, your father, your daddy, who can help you with that need. That's why we cry out. And in, a, in, in the Roman culture, when we look at this spirit of adoption, the, the whole adoption of Roman culture was interesting because when you, when you became part of a new family, you got all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of that new family, and all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of the old family were completely severed. And so similarly, we as Christians, as we are adopted into the family of God by the Spirit of God, and we cry out, Abba, Father, everything we need, he can meet us in. Some of you might have read a book by Brennan Manning called Abba's Child. And he says this. He says self-rejection, and I wouldn't want to maybe parent in parenthesis say shame. Shame or self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life. Why? Because it contradicts the sacred voice, God's voice, that calls us beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. I love that. Being beloved constitutes the core truth of your existence. If you are a follower of Christ, a believer in God, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're beloved. That's the most important thing about you. And the author, Brennan Manning, goes on to talk about his own spiritual journey out of self-rejection and shame into the tender love of God. It happened in 1992 when he was in a cabin in the middle of the Colorado Rockies for a, a retreat all by himself. And part of him was dreading being alone with God for those, for those, those days. And yet, he says in his book, he never felt safe unless he was performing somehow flawlessly and could prove himself somehow to himself. And he projected those feelings of needing to approve, be approving to God on God. He, he, he imposed his feelings about himself onto what he thinks God thought of him. Have you ever done that? I know I find I do that sometimes. I'm down on myself, and I think God must be down on me. I think God's love is the same as my love for myself. And uh, in that retreat, he says he came to experience being a beloved child of God because he had nothing to do to perform. He just had to learn to know God and God's embrace because Jesus died for him and the Spirit lived for him. And he had to learn to stop imposing his feelings about himself on God. Too many of us do that. The struggle with sin that you and I have sometimes can take place even in the realm of possibility. What do I mean? What I mean is that sometimes we can worry, we can be anxious, we can be even afraid that we might fall into sin and thereby be robbed of our joy for fear of blowing it, for fear of sinning. 
that we might abuse alcohol again, that we might lust again, that we might say the wrong thing again, gossip again. We might lose our temper again. We might smudge on the truth again. We might be not quick to forgive again. And the list goes on and on. And we can live being robbed of our sonship, our daughtership in Christ with God our Father Abba because we're afraid of something that we still might do. This is what Paul is talking about in verse 15. He's saying, you did not receive the spirit of fear which makes you a, a slavery, which makes you a, fear, a, a, a slave again to fear. You've not received that spirit, that afraidness of maybe blowing it yet. Instead, you've received the spirit of adoption. Does that resonate with you? You've received the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of fear or of slavery. Do you beat yourself up? Do you subject yourself to judgment based on your past track record of sin, your present temptations towards sin, your future fear of sin? God says, I don't want you to be slave to that. I died. I gave you my spirit to liberate you from that. Stop it. Stop it. You're my child. Come to me. Cry, Abba, Father. When you're most vulnerable, don't run away from me. Run toward me. Cry out, Abba, Father, help me. The spirit of adoption is within you to help you. <clears throat> and then thirdly, I want to say that the third way that the spirit testifies within us and leads us so that we can have assurance and security that we are belonging to God, our Father, is that he leads us to willingly suffer with Christ so that we may be glorified with him. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. <clears throat> the word for suffer here means to suffer together with someone, just as the word to be glorified means to be glorified together with someone. The idea is that you feel pain together because of Christ. You, you suffer together with Christ. And so this idea, how is it that, this, that, that we as the children of God, we as fellow heirs with Christ, actually suffer with him? The, the word can mean to sympathize, to feel the pain of. How is it we do so? Well, Philippians 3.10, Paul says, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death attaining to the resurrection of the dead. In 1 Peter 4, 13, Paul, Peter says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you also may be rejoicing and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's this idea throughout Scripture that the Christian is called to suffer with Christ, not for salvation, but after, in the aftermath of being called into being a child of God, we suffer. Now, I think Paul has in mind two things. They're both related to our physical bodies. And so when I, I want you to think about anything related to your physical body that has to do with your, your, your physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual state that is experienced in this body. 
Any suffering that takes place in those realms found in this context of this body. Why do I believe that? Number one, I believe it because in verses 10 to 12 in the context, the emphasis that Paul has had is on our physical, mortal bodies that will decay and die, but we will be raised with Christ. And then afterwards, after verse that I'm talking about, verse 17, in verses 18 to 23, he goes on to say that our sufferings of this present age are nothing to compare with what's waiting for us. Even all the way to verse 23 where he talks about the redemption of our bodies. And so the reason I believe that Paul is talking about sufferings related to this body is because before and after it, he's talking about physical bodies. So what do we mean then? That means that when we experience pain, decay, sickness, aging, when we're longing for a new body, it could be cancer or COVID, disability or bodily weakness related to aging, a bad back, migraine headaches, arthritis, moods of depression, inability to sleep, you name it, whatever is affected by this body, all of these things make us long for new bodies. One day when we will be redeemed and our bodies will be restored. We'll be free from the afflictions and infirmities of these bodies of sin. And similarly, when we experience sin because of the flesh in these bodies, the sin principle in these bodies, we long for our new bodies which will be free from sin. And when we're subject to cravings that we know are wrong, when we're subject to longings and lusts and jealousies and pride and, and, and envy and ulterior motives and bad attitudes, when we wrestle with knowing that we shouldn't be this way but we are, all of these come against us because we're still sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We live in this flesh. We're, from dust we were formed and to dust we will return. But in the middle of that suffering, we can say, just like Jesus did, Abba, Father. Just like he did in Gethsemane when he cried out, Abba, Father. We can be led by the Holy Spirit just like Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to overcome Satan in the wilderness in temptation. We can cry out, Abba, Father, just as Jesus did in Gethsemane. There's a story that John Piper tells about being a young boy when he was at the beach and he got caught in the undertow. And he was afraid for his life that, that he was going to be dragged out to sea. Couldn't touch the bottom, couldn't wrestle against it. He says this, In my panic, I thought of only one thing. Could someone help me? And when I felt my father's hand take hold of my upper arm like a vice grip, it was the sweetest thing in the world. I yielded entirely to being overpowered by his strength. I reveled in being picked up at his will. I did not resist. The thought did not enter my mind that I should try to show my dad that things aren't so bad. All I thought about was this. Yes, I need you. Yes, thank you. I love your strength. I love your grip on me. And with yielded affection, I gave myself over. We call that faith, folks. That's what faith is all about. Is yielding your life over to the power and presence and activity of God in you through your faith in Jesus Christ, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we apply these things? 
I want you to imagine something with me for just a moment. I want you to imagine you get an email from someone that you've known, and the email has words that land like a dagger in your heart. The words that this email attack you in are unfair, they're unkind, and they're unwarranted against you. How do you respond? The flesh in you wants to respond with a few choice words back in another email, a slandering of them to other people, a holding of the grudge, a cutting them out of your life, a blocking them from ever communicating with you again. All very human. But then there is this still, small voice that, that, that rises up. It's the spirit of your heavenly Father bearing witness with your spirit. You're not like the rest of this world, that voice says. The spirit of your heavenly Father, the spirit of Jesus in you says, I understand what you're feeling. I was misunderstood. I was falsely accused. I was hardly treated. And so you go to God in prayer. And what do you say? You cry. You cry, Abba, Father. This isn't a casual conversation. When you are attacked by the sin of your flesh, when you are attacked by the accusations of someone else, when you're going through cancer or COVID or whatever you're facing, you cry out to God the Father. And you pour out your heart to him. And he hears your prayer. And he gives you more grace. And miraculous, miraculously, miraculously, the next day and the day after that, there's something happening. The Holy Spirit is giving you lift where the gravity of sin once dragged you down. God is giving you a change of your mind. Unforgiveness will not be your prison. You're getting new hope. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is lifting you up high above the law of sin and death. And in that process of suffering with Jesus like that, the Holy Spirit is saying, you're mine. You're my child. This is what I created you for. Hallelujah. I want you to think with me for a moment about probably one of the most moving stories of adoption that we find in the Old Testament. In all the Bible. It's the story of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, David's best friend, Saul's son. Mephibosheth was Saul's only surviving grandson. When David learns about his life, he sends for him. And when David learns about his life, all of the land and possessions that was once King Saul's, he gives to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is a crippled boy that was saved by his nurse when the, the men of David were coming against Saul's men. 
And David decides that he is going to pour out his grace and favor upon Mephibosheth for the sake of his father Jonathan. He invites him to be at his table every day. Mephibosheth ate at the king's table. He decides that he is going to adopt him into his family. And everything that Saul owned now Mephibosheth owned. You know the word Mephibosheth, the name means a shameful thing. And when David found him, he was living in a place called Lodabar, which means no pasture, barren land. You and I have been adopted into God's family by sheer grace. Unworthy as we are, ashamed as we might be when we come to Jesus, barren as we are, nothing to offer God, He says, come to my table. And as we come to the table of the Lord that is set before us, I want you to think about Mephibosheth. I want you to think about how your heavenly Father rejoices over you with singing. Your heavenly Father calls you by name. Your heavenly Father has adopted you into his family. You have within you the spirit of adoption. He calls you his beloved And he provides for you everything you need. Everything you need. And then one day after this body is done with and you lay it in the grave, he's provided an inheritance that is co-heir with Jesus Christ, his only son. And Paul says that that inheritance is going to far outweigh any suffering that you face on this planet and in this body. Would you come to the table of the Lord this morning in the spirit of Mephibosheth? Brothers and sisters, uh, if you're at at your homes and you have some bread and juice, I just want to encourage you to enjoy uh, this table of the Lord with us uh, this morning. The Lord Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed, said that he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body. Eat it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit so much, but we want you to know, hey, God the Father sent the Son. And Jesus, before he ascended, he he sent the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm sending myself in spirit form to you. And so our one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has so taken care of us. And on this day as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're reminded to partake of the bread and the cup to remember the death, the sacrifice of Jesus that made this relationship with God possible. Let us give thanks for the bread and the cup now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to finish and enacting in our own experience the benefits of the Son of God on the cross and through the empty tomb. And today, Lord, as we partake of the bread, we thank you for it. It represents your body that hung on the cross. And as we drink the cup, we, we thank you because it, it represents your blood that was shed for our sins to be forgiven, washed clean, whiter than snow. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. 
We thank you for this meal and inviting us to this table, your table, in Christ. Amen. Would you partake now of the bread and the cup and be thankful? Amen. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Lord God, what a blessed thing just to sing those words that we are no longer slaves to fear, that we've been given a spirit of adoption, that we are sons and daughters of you because of Christ. And we thank you that we can have that relationship with you. We thank you for what it means to have your spirit in us, and we thank you that we don't have to be slaves to fear. And I pray that you would bless everyone who's heard this message today and anyone who doesn't yet know what it is to surrender life to you, to, to come to life in real. I pray... Lord, that you would just speak to hearts, and I pray, Lord, that Christ would be glorified, the one that died for our sin, that we might live. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.